Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Savvy Citizen. We're here with Pete and Flowers and Laura Warden from the Cooperative Extension today. Um, they are a couple of fun guys and fun girls. We're going to talk about shiitake mushrooms today um, because the Cooperative Extension has a annual class on how to grow shiitake mushrooms. Welcome everyone to another episode of Savvy Citizen. Today we are here with Peyton and Laura from the Cooperative Extension and today is going to be a shiitake show. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, mushrooms are becoming very popular right now. I think that's the whole like cottagecore vibe that people are going for. I don't know, but a lot of people are interested in this right now. So you guys are here to talk about shiitake mushrooms. Like you said, they're, um, it's a, it's a, popular hobby um and it there is some particularly with shiitake mushrooms there is some time and investment into inoculating the spores to get the shiitakes so we do that on um, logs and it takes certain types of logs at a certain diameter and certain length you mean um, when you say certain types of logs, you mean a certain kind of tree? Yes. Thank okay. You. Yes. Okay. Certain types of trees. Um, oaks. And correct me okay. if I get any of this wrong, Peyton. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Um, it, oaks are probably the first choice, but those are considered to be a high value, high dollar tree. So it's not like we're recommending you go down and cut down your biggest oak in your yard. Um, so what we tend to use in our workshops that we do to teach people how to inoculate logs is we often use sweet gums. Because that's another alternative tree that you can use. It's kind of a nuisance tree here in North Carolina. And um, so people don't have a problem cutting them down as much as those beautiful big oaks. Right. And we inoculate them. We usually want them, the logs, to be a four to five inch diameter and a length that's easy to manage. So, you know, a few feet long, but not like a really, really large diameter log. Because the larger the diameter, the longer it's going to take for what we call the mycelium to... Um, incorporate into the log and and basically produce the fungi, which we're going to eventually eat. And that takes time. So, and we, we do a workshop at least once a year. Usually it's been in December, but we've actually had discussions about if it, it's, it's kind of unique because we have to limit the number of attendees because it's a hands-on class and we, right. they, they do everything from start to finish and they go home with a, at least one inoculated log um, with, with the spores or the mycelium. Um, and so it's, it's, it's labor intensive. So we limit it to 15 to 20 people and we always fill it up like fast. Like we advertise it and it's like booked within three, three to four weeks. Wow. That's awesome. So we've discussed maybe even trying to do another workshop. Um, but there is a certain time of year that we is best for inoculating logs. Like when you should fall your, your, your logs, how long they need to rest before you inoculate them, um, and that kind of thing. And you really want your your logs to be in what we call a, a dormancy stage. We don't want them to be actively growing leaves and that kind of thing. So that has to be factored into when we're inoculating these logs and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So shiitakes do take a fair amount of labor as compared to some of the other species of mushroom, but they're a lot more, um, what's the word, or phrase I'm looking for, they're a lot easier to grow in comparison to some of the other more difficult mushrooms to grow. What would be an example of a difficult versus an easy mushroom? Uh, um, like folks who want to do like, you know, people who forage for mushrooms, they'll try to, um, like my mm-hmm. are very popular. Oh, I've never heard of that. Very hard to grow. 
um, folks who are just into growing mushrooms to grow mushrooms. Like I have a guy who does um, just oddball mushrooms indoors, and they're not easy to grow indoors either, like hen of the woods, chicken of the woods. Yeah. Just about, oddball mushrooms. What about truffles? Is, that's a mushroom, right? <laughs> truffles are actually grown. They're very difficult to grow. There are, there are people here that grow them here in North Carolina, but they're grown at the base of a tree, so an actively growing tree. And okay. again, it's a certain type of tree that the, you're planting. So there's a lot of time and investment, and it takes years and years for them to develop. Right. So there was a big movement for truffle production probably 10 years ago, mm. and it pretty much tanked because it just not very many people were successful at it. And it was a huge capital investment to get the trees, which right. were not indigenous to this area, okay. then to inoculate the soil. And then it's even to the point of getting these really expensive dogs that were truffle sniffing dogs. Yes, so like, I've heard uh, pigs yeah, too. <laughs> yes, that's more common in Europe. So it never really took off here. But like uh-huh. Peyton said, um, the maitakis, the oysters, the lion's manes, um, the shiitakes are pretty common species. Mm-hmm. Um, oysters are fairly easy to grow, but they grow on a different grow media. It's either a sawdust or some kind of grow media block. Mm-hmm. Um, and they live like like a totally separate environment than from the shiitakes. The nice thing about the shiitakes is, is that you can grow them outdoors. So once you've inoculated the log, you just find a nice shady, relatively moist area to put them in. And then you occasionally water them to make sure that there's ample moisture in the logs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of just let them do their thing. Um, so that's another appealing thing. And so even though there's a lot of upfront investment into the log preparation, once you've done that, um, then you just kind of let them sit and do their thing. What's a potential yield for a log? If someone signs up for this workshop, how many shiitakes could they conceivably get? Best case scenario. So help me out here. I'm Well, it's going to be tough to predict yield, yeah. um, especially when you're dealing with logs. It's a lot easier to predict yield when you're growing indoors and you can control all the variables. Um, but if you're force fruiting, and what I mean by that is if you are dipping your logs, you know, once they're fully colonized, you'll look at them, you'll see that they kind of have this whitish hue um, to the wood. Um, that means they're colonized. You dunk them in water or soak them for 24 hours, and then you put them up um, to fruit. You could expect probably, you know, it's hard to say, because in your first year, you probably won't see any mushrooms. Second year, you'll see, you know, a couple pounds. And then your third year, you might get four or five pounds off a log, potentially. And then how long can you use the same log? So, again, it's going to vary a little bit on the diameter and length of the log. Um, The smaller the log, the shorter the lifespan of the Mm -hmm. log. Because um, it'll decompose it'll eventually. Because deco- basically what that's what's happening is it's using the decomposed material of the log to feed the mycelium or mm-hmm. the, the mushrooms. So anywhere from a few years to up to six or seven years, really. Um, but uh, Peyton's right. You, um, I've been doing this for a number of years now, and I got a, about a you know handful of logs that I've collected through the years that we've done the workshop. And um I've just started throwing away a few logs that I had from when we first started doing these workshops mm-hmm. because they were just pretty much spent. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're probably six or seven years old. Oh, but wow. I, you that's, know, a, that's older than I would have yeah. guessed. Yeah. And, and, and he's right that, um, you know, you're not going to – might, you might see one or two mushrooms that first year. The second year, it'll increase a little bit. And then the third and fourth years and the fifth years are probably when you're going to get your most production. 
And is it the same organism that's living in the log this whole time for six or seven years? How long does a, because I know the mycelium is kind of, that's the organism. Yeah. And then so, the mushrooms are the reproductive organs, correct? Now you're getting into terminology way above my head. <laughs> that's what I, that's what Maybe I think can answer that question. Same organism. Okay, um, okay. That would be the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, so that mycelium network is what's going to continue to fruit. Um, where you have to be careful, though, is, you know, we want to, another reason we like, um, like oysters or wine caps for folks who are just starting out, um, shiitakes even, because you want to be able to make sure that you can identify the mushroom mm -hmm. and what it looks like. Um, because if you go out to harvest this log and we didn't seal things correctly when we used our plug spawn, um, you could run into issues because other mushrooms will take advantage and can colonize that log too. Oh. So. How do you identify mushrooms? Really the only effective way, and I am not, I get tons of questions and I usually send them to a mycologist, yeah. because I, but the only way that you can identify a mushroom um, truly is through its spore print uh -huh. would be, I think every mushroom has a unique spore print. And is that where you just put the cap on a piece of paper and you let the spores like make a mark, like a fingerprint? Yep. It's like their fingerprint. Oh, that's fascinating. Print. Yeah. Hey citizens, are you feeling savvy yet? If not, let's take a break and hear about some cool things happening in and around Gaston County. Get ready to don your costumes, folks. The Gaston County Public Library Comic-Con is back. The sixth annual Gaston County Public Library Comic-Con will be Saturday, June 3rd from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m at the main library on East Garrison Boulevard in Gastonia. There will be vendors, games, food trucks, and more. It's free and open to the public. So are shiitake mushrooms something that you could technically forage for, or is that a little dangerous? I don't think that's one you're gonna typically see out in the wild. The ones that come to mind because I'm out, and I, I'm there's only three that I'm comfortable picking in the wild, and that would be hen of the wood, chicken of the wood. They're very obvious. Mm -hmm. um, another one that's fairly popular is morels. I supposedly we have them here. I'm still looking for them. Um, <laughs> okay, now I've but, got a mission. After yeah, this those are <laughs> those are really obvious and uh -huh. safe. The rest you, you can find lion's mane. Yes, um, you can. Yeah. You can. Okay. I'm just not confident in that I would be able to recognize it as lion's mane. And how often is a, a mushroom that you find, like in a forest, going to be safe to eat? Is it best practice to kind of just, if you don't know what it is, leave it alone? Probably. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> forage, forage with friends um, that would probably be, that are more experienced okay. until you gain that experience would be my recommendation. Um if you're 95% confident, the best rule of advice that I've seen, you know, through our extension articles is that if you if you are 95% confident, you can try a little piece. Just don't do the whole thing. Okay. Um, and there's a... But I wouldn't do it at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, knowing my luck, I'd kill myself. Um, there is a group um, here in the county, and I, I can't remember their names, they, they've changed a couple times, but there is a 4A group that meets on a regular basis around the county and does mushroom 4As. And they used to have the mycologists at the Shield Museum that used to participate in those. So if, if you if you 
had no experience with that, you could probably hook up with that group. They do it about once a month at various locations across the county. And what they do is they collect mushrooms and then they take it back to a centralized location and they identify them and they kind of like group them into families and orders and and then they, they can help you identify the, the good ones from the not so good ones. Mm. Um, but they do, there's a pretty active group here in the county that does that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, they seem to stay pretty active. That's cool. So going back to cultivating mushrooms at home, um, you mentioned that these could be grown outdoors or indoors. Uh, what is the right kind of environment for them to grow in outdoors? Like, I want to check to make sure that I actually have space in my yard that's suitable for growing shiitakes. So ideally, as far as growing space for shiitakes, you're going to want minimal sunlight. So usually first would probably be a pine forest, which most people don't have in their yards around here um, because it's going to get provide dense shade year-round. Um, so forest floor, elevated on a pallet and you want to keep them out of a lot of wind and and dry dry weather so that shade's going to keep them cooler in the summertime Um, but if we're putting them underneath trees it's going to be important to occasionally wet those logs and see how you know check and see how dry they are Mm -hmm. Um, but that that's kind of what makes mushrooms unique is you can grow them in places where you can't grow anything else so it allows could allow a farm, um, in my case, and the folks that I deal with, to diversify a little bit and use their wooded, you know, patches of property a little bit uniquely. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, you know, working with farmers to grow mushrooms, what are some of the like commercial avenues for growing mushrooms that maybe people could start off as a hobby? Is that something that's like a viable option for a workshop like the one that you're presenting? It. Could potentially. Uh, farmers markets are an easy avenue to get into when you have a surplus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you, you know, you got into it, um, it I've actually talked with my family about getting together and because I've got all the tools and the supplies at work. And then we just buy the spawn and cut down some logs. And, mm-hmm. and, but that could potentially produce a fair amount of mushrooms that's more than what my husband and I could eat. So, selling it through some direct market avenue is an easy access point for people get just getting into it that might have that surplus that they can't eat. Mm-hmm. The other nice thing about these shiitake mushrooms is that you can freeze dry them or dehydrate them and they do really well. And then you just put them back in water and they just kind of bounce right back. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, um, that's how I was introduced to them as a kid is my parents used to buy freeze dried shiitakes or dehydrated shiitakes mm-hmm. and they would just reconstitute them in water and we had shiitakes <laughs> so and as a kid you thought it was really cool because they went from this little shriveled up thing to this fully functional mushroom so um but yeah they're they're there's a lot of things you can do with them um they do have a otherwise they do have a some somewhat short shelf life fresh mm-hmm. so and the biggest issue that like some of us backyard people that are doing it is trying to beat the predators from, you know, damaging the mushrooms being primarily chipmunks, squirrels, and slugs. Do, do they eat them? Yep. I yep. didn't know that. I've only ever seen chipmunks and squirrels with acorns. I've never yeah. seen one with the mushrooms. That's yeah. cool. The, the slugs are the biggest oh. issue that most of us have, but you'll see, like, little bite marks out of them and such. Mm. Um, so there, there's dam- There's potential damage. Yeah, and I will say, too, as far as, you know, you would have to be doing a lot of logs for me to be feel comfortable um, 
you know, for you to enter a market with yeah. the shiitakes, just because we talked about you can potentially get three or four pounds off a log, but you're cutting it and coming again, you're getting a quarter pound probably at a time. Yeah, It's not like you're harvesting that all at one time. Um, so you're going to have to be meticulously kind of watching your logs and have a bunch of them to actually harvest off of. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually 100 logs is where folks will start a small mushroom business um, and, and can see profitability in like two or three years. Mm-hmm. To kind of give you an idea, we inoculate maybe 20 to fi- 25 to 30 logs with 15 participants in a two-hour period Mm -hmm. so it's a bit time consuming and we have 15 people inoculating Mm -hmm. logs and usually if it's just yourself inoculating 100 logs that's that's, going to take some time yes yeah so yeah so it's labor intensive to get started Mm -hmm. but once you get once they're done you can just kind of unless you're forcing them yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing, too. Um, if you're going to go the forcing route, I mean, we, we're getting into the weeds here. Of like, yeah. we're, Most people listening to this are probably not going to start their own <laughs> mushroom business. This is what podcasts are for, in my opinion. It's to dive down into, like, the deep, nerdy yeah. side of everything. So go so, for it. <laughs> so if you were going to, you know, do the 100-log route, you would split that up into probably five or six different stacks. Mm-hmm. And then you would, you know, do one stack one week and then you inoculate the next stack the next week. And that's the way you would have to split it up. Mm-hmm. And then you would allow them to colonize and you would force fruit one, one week, and then you would come back and that would give you consistent, you know, harvest week after week. To kind of get them on a schedule. Yeah. 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 So most of what we're doing is just for backyard homeowners. Yeah. Okay. So like I only have six logs. So that more than supplies the amount of mushrooms that I need. I mean, I don't get them year-round, obviously. I get one or two flushes a year, Uh but I get several meals off of those six logs. How big do the mushrooms get? Um, Well... Using my hands instead of trying, they're probably we'll try to several this. inches across. Well, I I'm mean, thinking of like the, you know how you can get three a, to four inches. And okay, you can get like the stuffed caps at the grocery store. Yeah, that, oh like yeah, those are pretty big. Burger, shiitake burger, like the yeah. size of like a softball, like the yeah. diameter. Of What's a, that really popular big. big mushroom that they sell at the grocery store? And it's a portobello. portobello. Oh yeah. Thing. Oh, I'm thinking of so portobello. they're comparable in size uh, to a good size portobello. Okay, I would cool. Think that they're actually a little bit smaller. But that's okay. the thing, too, is you can harvest them at different sizes. Yes, It's not can. like you can. Um, but okay. They do reach a point where they get you know, a little woody. They're not going to taste the same. Uh, the bigger they are, they get more woody? Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So I, I personally, I like them smaller. Yeah. I think they're tender, and the and then it's easier to get the, the stem off of them. Mm-hmm. So Peyton makes a good point that the bigger they are, the, the little more mature they become and just not as tender. Yeah. We've reached the point in the podcast where we're stopping to do a commercial. But no, it's not selling you something. It's telling you something. Did you know Savvy Citizen now has a live music series? Check out the monthly episodes of Savvy Sounds, where we bring you original music and interviews with musicians from in and around Gaston County. View it on demand on the Gaston County Government YouTube page. Just search for the Savvy Sounds playlist. Do you guys do this class once a year or several times a year? Right now, we've been doing it once a year. We've had discussions about, because we always fill this class. It's Mm -hmm. never an issue of us not filling it. It's like we've been doing it for six or seven years now, and Mm -hmm. it always fills up. And we like to do it. I feel like I'm doing all the talking, but we like to do it. I like to do it, I guess I should say, because it's, it's, again, it's it's a, a collaboration between myself 
um, Peyton, who's our commercial, commercial hoard agent, our consumer hoard agent, Julie Flowers, and then a former extension agent, um, Jim Burke, who really got us started in all this because he's kind of a, a mushroom. He's uh, mm-hmm. he's he just he's big into mushrooms, um, and he really got us going in that. And he was the one that came to us initially. He has since retired, and now he's a, an extension volunteer. Oh, cool! So he comes back every year and he helps us with it too. It's one of the workshops I look forward to. It's just because it's you know it's it, we're it's, we're laid back, mm-hmm. you know. It's we're just out there to have fun, teach people how to do it safely, mm-hmm. and they do all the labor, and we yeah. just sit back and monitor. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, so crazy, such so much science that goes into making such a yummy little treat. So, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, and the, I mean, I, mushrooms themselves are just so interesting. Like, it there, there are so many. Like, you don't think of how many mushrooms there are yeah. on the planet. <laughs> But they're everywhere, and they're so diverse. I don't know. They're just really cool. And once again, I hate I always bring it back to money, but maybe that's because it's like <laughs> what I do. Um, but they're extremely profitable yeah. um, per the pound. So shiitake mushrooms are going to run $15 to the pound if you were selling them um, retail. And they can even run up to $20. I mean, you can sell to restaurants for right around, you know, 10 to $12, usually $12 is kind of the money mark right now. Even oysters, you're looking at 10 to $15 per yeah. pound. Wine caps, 8 to $12 per pound. So, And those were those are mushrooms that I would like to, you know, eventually probably do some classes on. It's just harder to send, send somebody off with a, a hands-on ex- experience and mm-hmm. something that they can take home and watch work. And some of those mushrooms have to be grown indoors, okay. which kind of limits us too. You know, it just kind of depends. Yeah. Um, that's the nice thing about the shiitakes is they can be grown outdoors. Yeah, that's really useful. I mean, even if you aren't thinking of selling them, if you're thinking of your home gardening as like an exercise in self-sufficiency, it does make sense to start by growing off, growing the crops that you spend the most money on. And yeah, so true. If you're looking for dollar savings, you know, why not? Do we have any mushroom farmers... Or anything close to a mushroom farmer in Gaston County? I have one um, farmstead who they're dabbling right now. And okay. if they have extra that they're fruiting on logs, they'll bring them to the market with them. It's oh, cool. definitely not their money maker. Right. Um, but just recently I went on a grower visit to a guy who's fruiting about 400, um, I think, bags a year. So he's Whoa. growing indoors. Mm-hmm. Or 400 bags a month. My apologies. He's growing a lot of mushrooms. That is a lot. He's growing lion's mane, um, a lot of oysters, um, obviously shiitakes, maitakes, and other mushrooms that I have yet to explore or know what he was talking about. So, <laughs> so he's growing it all, and um, he's at a couple farmer's markets, I think in Charlotte okay. and here locally as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, can each of you share maybe your favorite mushroom recipe? Ooh. How do you like to prepare your, shita- your shiitakes? I don't cook, so <laughs> that's pretty easy for me to say. Whoever, however, whoever's cooking for me is cooking them. I will eat them. I'm not picky. Yeah, same. I'm an eater, not a cooker. Okay. Well, I like to cook, so and I'm a mushroom fan. So um, I have two. Um, I'm like I said, I'm still looking for morels down here. I'm from the Midwest originally, and morels were really popular there. And we would, I mean, we'd find them in our backyard. It was so easy. 
And they, what I, we usually do is we just do them in an egg wash and then we take saltine crackers and crush them and roll them in. So we dip the morels in the egg and then the saltine crackers and we just fry them. Oh, and, that sounds pretty good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, sounds amazing. Since I've been down here, um, I've, I, like I said, I'm pretty confident in identifying and picking chicken of the wood and hen of the wood and in my opinion, chicken of the wood tastes just like chicken if it's prepared right. And basically the same thing. We just do an egg wash and whatever kind of breading you want to use and then just fry it on a, a skillet or a flat pan. And it's to die for. Mouthwatering. My boyfriend's family does stuffed mushrooms every Thanksgiving, weirdly enough. So stuffed shiitake mushrooms. I don't know what they stuff them with. I just eat them and enjoy them. I think maybe sausage, but Yummy. they're very good. Yeah, sounds yeah. like a good idea. Yeah. That's a good meat <laughs> substitute too, right? Mushrooms. Yeah. yeah. My friend who is a chef in Asheville, he sent me a picture of, he made, it looked amazing. I wish I could have tasted it. So I, I, I know he's a good cook, so I know it was amazing, but he made um, basically a faux barbecue out of shredded mushroom stems. Ooh. I think he used oysters because they're really long, but you just shred the stems. Um, it soaks up the, the sauce really, really well. I would yeah. have never even thought of that. Yeah, I, I think oyster acts as a great um, meat substitute for like the barbecue. I've heard like you that, said, but so. yeah, wow, yeah. I never would have thought. Yeah, you would if you saw the picture, you would have thought that it is just barbecue. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you all for coming on and talking to us about shiitake mushrooms. Thank you. Thank y'all. The Savvy Citizen Podcast is a production of the Gaston County Communications Office. It is hosted by Janet Schaefer and Adam Gobb and its senior field correspondent is Elizabeth McGee. Editor and producer is Joshua Braswell. Coming up on next week's show, we'll be previewing the upcoming Goat Island Games kicking off on May 6th in Cramerton. If you're feeling sporting, check it out.